0: Hello and welcome to Reach for the Pod, the Spring Edition. We are back with the football beat. My name is Elsie Norton. I am with Evan Gerke and Bradley Olin.
1: How are both of you doing today? I'm doing lovely. I'm glad to be here.
2: I'm also doing really well. Happy to be here with my friends Evan and Luke.
0: Yeah, this is pretty nice. Not gonna lie, it's been a minute since we've all been together like this. Um, All right. So, well, the last time we were together like this, um, Indiana football went two and ten.
1: Yeah, um, that was that was a little tough. Hopefully, morale's a little higher right now in the spring because there's there's a lot more hope to be had than there was sitting in the press box at Rossade Stadium. Yeah, Rossade's a pretty dark
2: place to be uh, late November, fresh off of Thanksgiving, facing down finals week, knowing that your school's team went two and ten. But we are sort of like existing in this beautiful time where hope cannot be higher. I mean, they have like we haven't even gotten to practice with pads, as far as I'm aware. So we can't have any of those injuries. We can't have any of that bad stuff. So things are good.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, So um, as far as last season, we know the offense wasn't that great. Nick Sheridan is out. And Walt Bell, former UMass coach, let's not talk about his tenure at UMass, uh, is in. All right, Evan, what do you see from Walt Bell?
1: Yeah, I mean, It it was definitely an interesting hire. I don't think it was really the name that anyone thought was going to be the offensive coordinator. It wasn't really someone uh, I was looking out for. Uh, But Nick Sheridan is no longer here, and now we have Walt Bell. So, I mean, like you said, he was the UMass coach. Um, Not that UMass is exactly a program of uh, admiral status in general, but it certainly was under Bell, unfortunately. But uh, he's here. He has a pass as an offensive coordinator. He was at Maryland for a while and had some pretty good running teams, which is really what you want to see uh, Indiana kind of take that step forward in is the run game. I think that was something that really kind of doomed them. I mean, we know there are issues all over just between not having a healthy quarterback. You lose DJ Matthews. Your receivers are way underperforming. You don't really have a great running back room. You're running you know, walk-ons out there all the time. And you can just list off problem after problem of what went wrong last year, but I definitely think Walt Bell is going to be brought in to kind of bring up that running game and take it to uh, not the next level, but to A-level, because I don't <laughs> know if it was really at A-level last year. Um, but that's, that's what you want him here for, is that running game.
2: Yeah, I think the most attractive thing about Walt Bell to me is just the idea that he is young and that generally leads to some degree of innovation and i know that ultimately doesn't mean anything but i think we see a lot of times when a program falls on hard times they just say oh well let's get the guy with experience let's go with the guy who has won before but my hope is that walt bell he's hungry he wants to develop relationships with players he wants to be that sort of players coach whatever that means um and sort of build something from the ground up so i'm optimistic in that sense now is there a possibility that he is like not that good and that indiana hired a man who has done nothing but lose the professional level for the last like four or five years maybe but i'm willing to ride it out and see what happens
0: yeah i mean i think the thing with walt bell is um alan's an interesting head coach and yeah he's a defensive mind and he has now he confirmed in a press conference he's taking back control of the defense um he hired chad wilt the new defensive coordinator as more of a point person, more of an organization guy, making sure if he leaves a meeting, a meeting could still flow as though he were there. That's Wilt's role. Whereas Allen, he's going to be recalling plays. It's his defense again, as it was when he was a defensive coordinator. He's wanted to get back to that. He's been a head coach for years now. He knows what it's like to be a head coach now. He's no longer a rookie head coach. He knows what being a head coach is like, so he feels more comfortable putting himself back, on, back in control of the defense. But... The reason why he needs a guy like Walt Bell is because he's always described the offensive coordinator as a head coach of the offense. Like, yes, Allen's the head coach, but he's really a coach of the defense, so he needs someone who can oversee the offense. So who better to be a head coach of the offense than a former head coach? Mind you that he didn't have the best tenure at UMass, but... He has that head coaching experience. He knows what it's like to be in the Big Sheridan. He can compliment Allen. And he said in his own introductory press conference, like, yeah, I've been there. I know what it's how much good assistants matter, so I want to put myself in that position and be a good assistant for Allen.
1: Here's my, my thing about just both coordinators in general. Um, we, have, we have Nick Sheridan's like offensive stats here in his Big Ten ranking. Uh, in 2020, he was fourth in the Big Ten in points per game, 13th last year. Uh, fifth in the Big Ten in passing yards, tenth last year, and I, I wanted to ask you guys: like, do you think it's like Sheridan got really lucky in year one, or really unlucky in year two? Like, what went wrong with Sheridan in the time that he was the offensive coordinator uh, that kind of led to be him being forced out? I mean, he was there was no way he was going to stay at the end of last season.
2: Nick Sheridan might have had one of the unluckiest seasons any coordinator could have had like the fact that you're playing Grant Gremmel against your, your most hated rival in, at the end of the season and you're, you have walk-ons at running back. So a lot of things went wrong. That being said, I think everyone kind of knew that his time was up. Um, I will note, if we look back at 2020, which we sort of regard as this magical season at IU, a lot of times that team was winning not because of, but in spite of its offense. Like we talked, you know, with regards to the Penn State game, that was pretty much like 90%, a pretty bad offensive performance, And then Michael Penix just decided to become Patrick Mahomes for a couple drives. And we saw that in the second half against Ohio State. But I really think the cracks in the foundation were there to sort of point to where this went. And then, of course, when you factor in all of that horrible injury luck, it just really pushed him over the edge and then some.
0: Yeah, Indiana's offensive output just decreased throughout twenty twenty. I mean, the reason why Sheridan was brought aboard because was because Kalen DeBoer really ushered in like, oh, Indiana is getting really creative on offense because of his predecessor DeBoer with a D was really really like old style. Like there was nothing new there. Every Big Ten coach had seen that kind of offense before and knew what to do against it. DeBoer brought an offense that he's been using at lower levels for such, such a long time. And uh, he kind of was able to take Sheridan under his wing. And unfortunately for Allen, it was a bit too good because DeBoer was then hired as the head coach of Fresno State, now he's at Washington. Um, but Allen was like, I really like that. I wanna make sure we have some continuity there because I like that style of offense. I feel like it complements my defense. That's why Sheridan was hired. And he did come into a pretty good situation. I mean, he had a pretty reliable group of. Receivers. I mean, he had Scott, Stevie Scott, a really reliable running back. And I mean, he had at the time an emerging quarterback in Michael Penix Jr. Everyone really looked to him as the starter. I mean, he had that arm, he had like that high ceiling. And yeah, as Bradley said, cracks started to show in that offense throughout the season. And I mean, it was not a great debut. Um, But keep in mind, in 2020, Indiana did have so many takeaways, so it's pretty easy to score on offense when you get the ball on opponent's territory so many times. Um, Like, and now, when you have to work with, like, you know, actual, ordinary, normal field position, it's like, oh, wait. Uh, And yes, this team was riddled with injuries. I mean, we were starting an entire walk-on backfield in Grant Gremmel and Davion Irvin Poindexter against Purdue, who was just on a roll last season. Not great, but at the same time, uh, things just weren't working. you can see it um, on the scripted drives and during that season because that really showed Indiana probably has the talent to compete in more of these games than it should have. But then once the scripted drives were out and you had to adjust for a little, the defense was adjusting, the offense just couldn't adjust and it could not gain yards, could not score points. It just wasn't working.
1: So on a scale of 1 to 10, one being 2021 and 10 being 2020, where do we think Walt Bell's offense is going to be next year for IU?
2: That's a really good question. and I've been thinking about it a lot recently. And it's almost like when I think of an Indiana offense, just given my experience here at the school and my time as as a viewer, uh, God forbid I say fan, but the offense just always feels like it's on this ticking clock of like, all right, how long is the quarterback going to be healthy? I mean, in three years, it, it hasn't, I mean, Michael Penick's going down. Um, obviously, Jack Tuttle not staying healthy and getting down to walk-on. So if we're living in this fantasy world where everyone stays healthy, you know, I hate to be a pessimist, but it really feels like it could be trending to like a four. I mean, this is the Big Ten. The one thing the Big Ten is never lacking in is good defense. So even if the offense makes huge leaps and strides, it's gonna be really tough. And they're gonna have to do some amazing things schematically to really stand out and make a market improvement. So it should be better. I can't imagine it not being better but I just don't know by how much.
0: I mean, I think it's going to be better, but I think it's a, a, in, like uniquely hard to measure because so many of those players in that offense that didn't work are gone. I mean, Michael Penix Jr., he's gone. Ty Frogel, he's gone. I mean, Stephen Carr, he's gone. Like, so many starters, when you really think about it, are gone. And then that offensive line, which we'll get into a bit later, I mean— yeah, a lot of like that offensive line was not great, and they didn't really add to it this past offseason. I guess they have freshmen coming in, but you don't typically see freshmen impact offensive linemen. They didn't really add any transfers there. Um, so it's really hard to gauge that, but I agree with Bradley. I think because Walt Bell, one thing he's emphasized is no matter who's under center at quarterback, uh, what they're going to try to do is they're going to try to adapt to make sure they win with the talent that's there. So the offense that they'd run for, say, Donovan McCulley would not be the same offense that they'd run for Connor Basilac or, you know, uh, Jack Tuttle. Uh, it would be a different offense. They'd make sure they're playing to their strengths, but we don't know what strengths are there that much. Like, it's a new group of receivers. There's gonna be a new backfield. Like, the entire running back room is gone pretty much. Um, it's gonna be a brand new quarterback, so. But I'd have to agree with Bradley, like when I first heard you say that question, I was thinking four, because yeah, it just doesn't look like a great situation.
2: And I think just based on what we've seen this last year, the sort of like item number one on the list for me with regards to the offense is just finding some kind of identity. I look back on last year, I have no idea what they were trying to do at any given point. We'd see drives where it was just slinging it for like trying to go for huge chunk gains. We'd have ones where it's just cloud of dust after cloud of dust. And It was just like, I'm not saying every coach needs to have a thing, but it helps if you have some level of cohesion to your offense.
0: Yeah, I, to add on to that, um, I think it might have, it was one of like the last night games. It was not a win, obviously, but um, uh, when I was down on the field, players were heading off and we were about to head to the press conference. Um, another member of the media was there with me who would been on the beat for a while and he just looked at me and said man they just can't do anything on offense and it's like well you're right not really much more you need to say than that
1: yeah I mean that sounds up. it was just all season they could not do anything on offense it was it was sad to watch it was tough to watch even in the press box
2: so speaking of that identity obviously it's all going to revolve around the quarterback uh friends what do we know
1: about the quarterback position at this point? Um we know that apparently Grant Gremmel is still in competition for the starting spot. <laughs> um which scary. Um sorry Grant if you're listening, but um no I think I think it's theoretically it's in a better spot because hopefully there's more health and you're also bringing back um you, you got Donovan McCauley, you've got Jack Tuttle, you've got Connor Be- Be- that's like Bazilek? Bazilek? Basilek. Um So you got some healthy competition. You've also got Dexter Williams, who missed all of last year at the ACL tear and was supposed to be pretty much a freak athlete, um, who I guess is back and playing pretty well here in spring practices. So it's definitely kind of a toss-up. But, you know, Michael Penix has been the guy for the last three, four years now. Um, and it's going to be really interesting having someone completely new come in and, like, okay, where where does he stand what is he going to be able to do with the offense? I mean, theoretically, technically, Jack Tuttle could still get the starting spot, I and mean, we've seen him before. But it sounds like Connor Beasley's really the guy.
0: I think the interesting part about the quarterback position is um, if let's say um, it'd be a different situation if Nick Sheridan was still around, if they were still running like the same offensive system. They're not. They're not. Like um, I mean, Donovan McCauley went through and learned that Sheridan system, that Sheridan DeBoer system. But um, now he's having to learn the Walt Bell system. So you have to think, well, that probably isn't ideal for development. Have you learned two different offensive systems your first two years of college? But um, everyone's coming in with like the same amount of experience in the system. So it's really going to be interesting to see, Like, okay, so who really comes out of that battle?
2: So based on what you know, as far as I'm aware, right now Jack Tuttle is the quote-unquote assumed starter. That ultimately means nothing in the middle of April. Um, from what we've seen from Connor lack in his time at the SEC, what kind of things do we like about him? What kind of things give us pause? And if he ends up being that guy or he's pushing for the starting job, what do we think he can bring to that offense?
1: Well, I mean, he looked like a he had a really good young career at Missouri before uh, injuries kind of affected him again there too, which is – Whoa,
2: sounds kind of – Yeah,
1: not the sentence you want to hear if you're an Indiana football fan. Um, but he was – what. All-freshman team in the SEC. He was the freshman of the year. Pretty talented guy, honestly. I I think uh, there's definitely stuff you could be um, satisfied with knowing he's coming in. I think he's going to be a guy who's getting the ball out quick. Um, Not a ton of help around him, really, that I see. So you definitely want a guy who can kind of create on offense a little bit. I think he's going to be one of those people. I think he's got a good chance to do that.
0: Yeah, I think, I mean, especially, I mean, SEC Freshman of the Year, that's a hard league to earn a position, an award like that in because, I mean, you think of all the impact freshmen that have come through the SEC who have just, like, made a difference on, like, really, really good teams. It's a hard award to win for him to win that at a school like Mizzou. That really puts him, like, head and shoulders, like, above most. But then he had that, like, down season this past season, so I'm really interested to see where he goes from there. But he does bring all that experience. I mean... Indiana's defense, I mean, t- that's where Tom Allen comes from. He comes from the SEC. He learned a lot of defense while he was at Ole Miss. Um, so they've seen, like, the same kind of looks. I mean, yes, things have changed over the years, but the SEC is the SEC. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he works specifically with Allen because they both have an SEC past. But I think, yeah, Connor like has that experience. Jack Tuttle has a bit of starting experience, but um, – one of the things with Connor Bazelak is he brings something that I'm not sure Tuttle brings, and I'm not sure if my brings, frankly, because we didn't see him throw too much last year, um, but Connor Bazelak has arm strength to him, and that's really what they, well, like, Indiana seemed to prioritize in quarterbacks fast the few years, because, yeah, like, Michael Penix had so much arm strength. I mean, he had a higher ceiling out of all the quarterbacks these past few years, and that's really why he's been the starter, because he's the one that can really push the ball down the field and spook a defense. Um, Connor lack brings some of that ability. I mean, he has a bit of a quick release. He has good touch on it. Um, and, yeah, he can bring that factor, but how much will that matter if you have, like, an experienced guy like Jack Tettle? Like, do you want more of those, like, deep passes? I imagine they would, or someone like Jack Tettle to, like, throw those little out routes, like... Pick up a little bit here and there Will you focus more on the run game.
1: He's got pretty good looking stats too. I pulled them up as a freshman at Missouri, 67% completion, uh, only seven touchdowns and six interceptions. Um, but last year, another pretty much very similar stats, uh, 65% completion, threw for about 200 more yards, 2500, uh, 16 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. Um, it, they're They look good. On paper, it's definitely different. I mean, you're playing the SEC; it's a lot different than the Big Ten. But I mean, I like just reading the numbers. It seems like a guy who can really come to Indiana and, you know, help the team compete a little bit more than they have.
2: Yeah, I mean, ostensibly his ceiling is a four-star prospect from Archbishop Alter. It's a place near where I grew up. They they have good football players. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Um, And SEC Freshman of the Year. He's got the size. He's got the skills. It would be great as a fan to imagine that he just comes in and the game feels much slower for him, and he's got all this experience. The question I'm kind of wondering is how much of that really matters when he's playing against or when he's playing behind the offensive line he is and throwing to the receivers he is. Because we are always going to talk about the quarterback, but I mean, we saw what four different quarterbacks last year. Too many. Yeah, kind of, kind of didn't matter uh, because they were all playing behind the same row of turnstiles.
0: Yeah, if you're running to the media guy when someone trouts, like runs out at a quarterback, that's a problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, do we want to kind of go into the offensive line here already? Uh, I know we, we kind well, of I have mean, that later, but I, I, I just don't think we can avoid... Everyone goes through that
2: offensive line eventually, so we might as well <laughs> take our turn. <laughs> I
1: just don't think we can avoid talking about that offensive line any longer. Um, I was very confused as the transfers kept rolling in and none of them were offensive linemen um just because to me that was the most obvious area you needed to address um to both help the running game to help the passing game to help indiana football in general and they pretty much didn't make a single change there including darren hiller who we didn't know was if he was going to have a job once sheridan lost his uh, or even really before that we thought he might be out but uh you got caleb jones declaring for the nfl you got a couple guys who'd never really played that are transferring and nobody's coming in except a few freshmen who are going to be key players this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is the Big Ten. Like, no freshman, like, true freshman is going to come in and be a big player on the offensive line. Like, Big Ten is just home to huge offensive line. I mean, we saw it uh, get when Minnesota visited Indiana last year. That offensive line is huge. Like, I remember, I'll never forget, it was really funny, like, this Charlton Warren quote back when he was a defensive coordinator, he said, oh, yeah, Minnesota, they put a ton of beef up front and try to push you back, and it's like... <laughs> I don't think Indiana can put a ton of beef up front. I mean, you look at Michigan, that's a ton of beef. I mean, you look at Ohio State and all their tackles that are also playing, like, different positions in the offensive line. That's a lot of beef. Um, Indiana really doesn't have that, and you need that in the running game, and you need that in the passing game. Like we mentioned, Connor lacks arm strength, um, well, he has, like, as of now, like, one proven burner at wide receiver. I mean, DJ Matthews Jr. can get down the field. But will there be enough time for Connor Bazlack to get on the ball if he manages to get downfield? I'm not so sure, especially with of an offensive line that allowed all, like, like I believe, like the second most pressures in the Big Ten last season. I wouldn't have too much faith in that offensive line like improving so much.
1: Yeah, and I mean we we talked about. Um, oh man, what was I going to say? I had a point to make there. Something about the offensive line.
2: Well, I'll hop in and make a note that something I don't think we always think about but that has occurred to me and I've been thinking about more and more is uh, David Ballou, uh, currently the strength and conditioning coach. at I want to say Alabama. He was at Indiana for a pretty great streak of offensive linemen. We were seeing a lot of linemen getting drafted. I think strength and conditioning is a component that often gets overlooked but is extremely important. And that line was just getting beat. And they had size. You look at Caleb Jones, that's what more can you ask for? But all that size just couldn't seem to keep up with defenses. And there were more factors going on. But I do wonder what you know what role that played in things and how that can maybe be transformed this offseason.
0: And, like, when you think of an offensive line, I'm not sure people realize just how much, like, an offensive line coach has to, like, how much influence they have over an offense because, like, if you're a wide receivers coach or if you're, like, the offensive coordinator, you can cook up, like, the most awesome play, present it in a meeting, and then the offensive line coach will say, but how do we protect that? Mm -hmm. And just shoot you down because you really can't think of something, especially with the offensive line that Indiana has. You can try as much as you can on offense, but if your offensive line cannot block it, you're just hamstrung. I mean, that's really like, aside from quarterback, the most important part of an offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's kind of underrated because it's not glamorous as to the, the, like, you know, the wide receivers and the quarterbacks, but it's just so important to see uh, that offensive line take steps forward each year. And I mean, we just definitely did not this year. It was, it was definitely like something that I thought for sure that Indiana was going to address. I mean, I remember. Uh, in that Iowa press box watching that game. And I ended up doing my story on, like, the game just showed the difference between Indiana's offensive line and the rest of the Big Tens. I mean, Iowa's a noted, like, offensive line you kind of school who just produces a ton of really good linemen on both sides of the ball. And I was watching that, like, seeing, you know, Indiana couldn't get any pressure. And at this point, we have no idea – that Indiana's going to go 2 and 10. We're we're hoping for a bowl game like eight, 8 and 4 at worst. Big
2: 10 title still in contention there. Yeah,
1: we we thought we the morale was high on that drive to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um so we didn't realize how bad it was going to be, but I mean, they the the defense wasn't getting great pressure from from Indiana against Iowa's offensive line on the other side. It was like they weren't there. I mean, it, they would just glide right through and Force Penix to make a throw, and oh, look, that's an interception. Oh, he's taking it all the way. There's a pick six. That's the second of the game, and all of this very quickly. Uh, we're looking up from the press box to the scoreboard and trying to figure out what just happened.
2: Yeah, it felt like literally every position on the field on offense got worse, and that very well may have happened, but usually when you feel that, it's because it's starting at the line because if the line's not good, everything's just going to – it just sets a ceiling on how good things can be. It just does.
0: And I mean, if you let's say, I mean, you're running an offense and you're running like these short these short routes while well, you're exposing your wide receivers to linebacker territory. That's never a fun place to be. Like if you have those deep routes, yeah, they might deal with a cornerback, but a cornerback isn't going to deal some like horrific hit that could lead that could send him out of a game. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Indiana has a saying big men lead the way. They said it throughout the season, they said it at the beginning of the season, and it just wasn't working. They were trying a few different co- combinations of those five offensive linemen, and nothing really worked.
2: I mean, I, I think they led the way. They went to the defensive lineman, and they said, oh, I'll right this way, and went straight to the
1: quarterback. <laughs> the ushers of Indiana football. Uh, oh.
2: we, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not here to, like, crap on amazing, like, 250-pound juggernauts, but there's just got to be a little bit more cohesion if this team wants to get anything better and let a running back run anywhere more than, like,
1: a yard and a half. Bradley, are you saying you're not going to go repeat these things to Caleb Jones?
2: Uh, In the interest of my bones, my pride, and just respecting beautiful, strong men, no. No.
0: And, I mean, thinking about the freshmen coming in, because, yes, they aren't going to have an instant impact, but they are freshmen. They're going to be a part of this program. They could be starting eventually. I mean, Carter Smith, he's a tackle, so I would not expect him to see, like, much, if any, action, especially against Big Ten edge ed rushers. But he has some athleticism that helps with playing tackle. He needs to develop more, and um, just this past few years, I'm not sure the staff is capable of doing that. Um, and, I mean, DJ Moore, an in-state recruit, I mean, he's a big, mean dude who can help on the run game. He's... He can just maul over dudes. And then Bray Lynch out of Texas. So, I mean, Texas high school football, he's won a state championship. Like, he's seen amazing levels of competition, and that should help, especially in a conference like the Big Ten. I mean, he's athletic, but he does need a bit of time to bulk up a bit more. But, again, this is this season. I don't think any of these freshmen have – a real shot to be able to contribute this season because they need to spend time in the weight room. They need to spend time booking up. They need to spend time, like, learning the system, be having older offensive linemen mentor them. Um, but this current group that they have, especially if no transfers brought in, um, I don't know. If I was the quarterback's coach, who is also Walt Bell, I would be worried.
1: Yeah, I mean, Bray Lynch is the guy that stuck out to me. He was kind of the big uh, offensive line get in that recruiting class. And I heard his name quite a few times, but... um it just isn't enough for next season. You're right.
2: Well, good thing they only have to play Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh Greg Shiano's Rutgers. Cincinnati. Yo, oh, yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah, no, great. Um, My Mike Sanders not coming back though, so he won't get seven sacks or whatever. But
1: they might look good against Illinois and Idaho in the first couple weeks. Yeah,
2: they might look good against Idaho. <laughs> it's it's a lot of doom and gloom and there's a lot that can change, but again, Offensive line is just not really something you can scheme around. There's no trick play to make your five guys stronger and faster Um, And so that's an area of concern But so regardless of how the offensive line is performing in theory there's going to be someone running behind them Who do we got because some names that I remember are Tim Baldwin jr. Actually. Nope Samson James. Nope Um, Yeah, like where do you want me to stop Stephen Carr for a little bit? Uh, So what are we looking at there?
0: yeah um a lot of the running backs kind of left this off season before and after um dylan mccullough left went on to notre dame um, and they brought a few in before dylan went on to notre dame i mean sean shivers i mean he's from auburn like freak athlete he's listed as an athlete he's not specifically listed as a running back i mean he's a he's kind of a short guy short king who can he's a shifty dude can create some problems uh you we saw dude Either of you see that highlight from practice, like he took a run to the house and he just like broke so many ankles on the way there, which doesn't look great for any of the defense, but does look great for Sean Shivers. See,
1: whenever I see clips like that of like inner like inner squad scrimmages, and we saw the same thing in fall camp, um, where like the offense looks great or the defense makes a really great play, and it's like, is it because the offense is good or is it because the defense is bad? Um, but like that was that did look like an impressive run. He, like you said, he looked shifty there. Sean shifters. No, that's really great, Evan. I'm really <laughs> glad you said that. I looked to Bradley for for validation there because he usually likes to validate my really bad jokes. So thank you, Bradley.
2: No, I liked it, and I'm sure we'll be saying it for all three games that he's healthy. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that was just walk on city, and I I'm of the opinion, I guess this is a very anti Big Ten fan of me, but. The running back, unless you've got a guy that's truly transformative, you need a guy who can be secure with the ball, who can find some holes. I don't know if those holes are going to be present, but you just you got to stay healthy and you got to have depth because if you're putting a guy out there who's already got 14 carries and you're expecting to get anything more than like three yards, it's probably
1: not going to happen. You, You don't think we have a Kenneth Walker on our hands here?
2: Well, I mean, that's the blueprint, right, is Michigan State. Like that's the best case scenario is somehow there's just magic in the portal, but... I just, I yeah, call me pessimistic. I don't see it.
0: Yeah, I mean, with a guy like Sean Shivers, I feel like you could have, because he has the capacity to be explosive. I mean, they brought in Josh Henderson from North Carolina. I'm not, I don't think he's, like, a starting quality back, but I feel like he could k- get some carries here and there just when Shivers needs a bit of rest. But, yeah, I mean, speaking to, I don't think this offensive line is going to be able to generate much. I mean, think about last year. I mean, Stephen Carr would, did not get much. I mean, he had, like, one big run that wasn't against Idaho. It was against <laughs> Maryland, that touchdown run. Yeah. I mean, that's not great. You need more explosive runs like that. And Indiana had all of, like, one last year against a non-FCS opponent. And I'm not so sure if Indians to be able to produce that this year because Stephen Carr was a quality back. He brought a lot of patience to the game. I mean, he, he could make cuts. He was a quality, quality running back. And it's a shame that he was not able to put those talents on display as much as he could have. But... Yeah, he had that one run, but aside from that, he just didn't get too much room. And one of the things um, that he did bring, though, was he was a he was a receiver. And Sean Shivers has had some work at receiver. He can do that, and I mean, if you have an offensive line like Indiana where you're worried, like, uh-oh, we're not gonna have much time to throw, I mean, just a quick out to the running back, that could be a key part of the game.
2: Oh, I fully expect we'll be seeing a lot of quick outs this year. Don't you worry. <laughs> um, And some of those might be the receivers because uh and i say receivers as a broad term because this year obviously leading receiver was not a wide receiver we were seeing a lot of a lot of bubble screens to matt bjorson there down the stretch and i get that you have to adapt but what what kind of talent are we looking at out wide or maybe not even out wide but who can connor basilak or jack tuttle or whomever throw to
0: I mean, the biggest name upon like, receivers would have to be D.J. Matthews. I mean, yes. I mean, I believe he is the leading returning receiver from last year. Yeah. Um, he brings speed to the game. Mind you, you have to worry about, uh, will there be enough time to block for that? Um, they did have some time to do that against Cincinnati before he got injured. But I feel like that's like the number one name. But... Behind that, there's a lot of question marks. I mean, Ty Freyfogle was going on to the NFL. They had a lot of transfers too, of which went to join Deion Sanders at Jackson State. I mean, Miles Marshall, who looked like he was gonna have like potentially a really good season there. He went on to Miami of Ohio. Jacoby Hewitt went on to FIU. Sean Brown is still in the transfer portal. So Indiana had to bring in some names. Uh, Emery Simmons from UNC, who they recruited as a high schooler. So it was a pre-established relationship there. He spoke about it a bit in a press conference a while ago. Like he already knew Tom Allen, he already knew the facilities so it was a pretty easy decision for him once he answered the transfer portal and then cam camper who's a juco transfer he produced he produced pretty well at the junior college level and he's had some highlights in camp and they actually uh, a little fun aside um whenever he isn't in class he's usually with coaches meeting in coaches meetings just trying to soak up as much as he can they call him coach cam um but yeah it's a really thin room and we don't know a ton about it i mean there's Two notable freshmen coming in I mean, Obar Cooper, he worked with Donovan McCulley. I mean, he's a four-star. He's a bigger, like, contested catch-type receiver. think of, like a tie-fry-fogel type that's kind of a receiver that Nini has liked as of late. But um, he has not participated in spring ball. He's not an early enrollee. So he's going to have to play some catch-up in the fall. So I would not expect him to have much of an impact early. He could have some plays as the season goes on but I wouldn't expect to see him too much early. And then there's Cameron Perry, a three star. He's a more of a speedy guy. He has a lot of uh, receiving yards after catch ability, but he is also not doing spring ball. So he could show up later in the season, but I wouldn't expect them to use him too much early on in the
1: season. One thing you you mentioned with DJ Matthews is that he had the most receiving yards last season. Uh, He was lost for the season against Western Kentucky, which means he played one big 10 game. Uh, That's terrifying. That you've got guys like Ty Freifogel and Miles Marshall uh, in your you know receiving slots, and your leading receiver played four games. Uh, and I know there's a lot of issues that go into that about yeah. the offensive line and the quarterbacks were unhealthy. But, I mean, that's, that's not even a lot of yards. Like, it, I don't know – that's pretty much all the the receiving Indiana's bringing in this year is 165 yards worth. That's that's scary.
2: Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, Fry Fogel did end up surpassing him um, by the end of the year uh, by about 200 yards, but that's 200 more yards in what nine games? I, I mean, Indiana just was not was just not getting targets. There was no. I mean, the the thing I kept coming back to throughout the year was Indiana just did not have any reliable way to generate easy yardage. Uh, to I guess it now would be three years ago, uh, sort of that Kalen DeBoer's last year. They weren't always bombing it deep. It was a lot of screens, it was a lot of swing passes and these things, but it was because given the limitations they had and given the defenses they were going against, they're like, all right, we're gonna get it to Watt Fillier in space and, you know, with some speed. We're gonna get it to one of our big tight ends in the flat. Just anything you can do to generate easy chunks of yardage, you don't have to have fireworks every single play. And it felt like it was so boomer bust for Indiana and obviously, more often than not, it was bust.
1: Uh yeah, going back to like the tight ends too, um and they they tried to use those guys a little bit. I mean Peyton Hendershot uh put up pretty good numbers. But he's gone now. He's he's declared for the draft. You lost uh Matt Bjorsen to the portal. Uh pretty much the only guy you got coming back is AJ Barner, who had a few like decent games. Um but i think what one of them was an 80 yard touchdown he had the, he had the long touchdown yeah 76 yards against idaho i think okay yeah time. in garbage time it with, was
0: just under 50% of his total yardage on the season
1: yeah so that's like i i've i've heard good things about how he's looked so far in the spring that he's really kind of settling into that starting role um but he's also really unproven as well so you've really got only question marks to throw to if you're Connor Basilek or Jack Tuttle or Donovan McCauley or Dexter Williams or Grant Campbell,
2: yeah, or you know Zach Merrill, Will Johns,
1: shout out Will. Um,
2: I think I remember recording uh, a similar podcast last year, and we really focused on like the potential stars. You know, is Miles Marshall going to break out? Is, um, you know, is Stephen Carr going to be the guy at running back? This year, we're kind of just asking for people to step up, give like give like a C plus, you know, because <laughs> when you just have such an utter lack of identity, you just need people to show up and do their job and do it well enough that you can win the games you're supposed to win, be competitive in the games you're maybe not supposed to. Because when you just get socked in the mouth over and over that early in the season, I mean, we saw after the Michigan State game, it was almost like the team was broken. So you gotta be competitive early on and you can't just be getting absolutely gassed you know, by all these different teams.
0: I mean, yeah, they're tight ends. I mean, one thing you gotta worry about is, especially with the offensive line, like what are the tight ends going to bring as, like, blockers? Like, I mean, I mean, with A.J. Barner's, like, receiving yards being a bit low, I mean, you have to wonder, okay, is he used more as a blocker? Is he used more as a receiver this season? Who knows? And I want to point out that he was also, A.J. Barner was Indiana's bucket game MVP, and he had, like, I don't know, like, a few receptions here and there, which just says a lot about that bucket game, number one. But number two, I mean, that could be a bit promising that he was getting those targets in the first place because, I mean, in, Purdue did have a pretty solid defense. Um, But, yeah, they have two freshmen coming in. Brody Foley, he was a late command. He had some athleticism, definitely more of a receiver. I mean, the guys are converted running back. He's also been a linebacker. He needs to bulk up a bit, but he should be more of, like, a complete tight end. He can both block and receive and be a receiver. But, I mean, Ryan Miller, he's a bigger tight end. He's much more of a blocker than a receiver. But I'm not sure how either how much either of those guys are going to contribute because it's clearly – this is absolutely A.J. Barner's room now. He is the starter. That much we can say is pretty much a fact.
1: Yeah, you're also – you might see some playing time from guys like Aaron Steinfeld who didn't really see the field much last year outside of, like, special teams but was injured for a few games. Um, he's a Bloomington guy too. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be someone who's going to be able to contribute – In the future, he's also trying to bring in his younger brother, uh, who I think is the number 11th ranked player in Indiana or the 11th ranked tight end and the fifth in the state. So um, you're almost going to use him as a recruiting tool, too, in his home city. But um, there there might be some guys at the tight end position who are big enough that they can kind of step up and maybe do something uh, out there.
2: So, obviously, throughout the course of uh, this little conversation, it really feels like we've been at a, a low hum of mild enthusiasm. So, as we close things out before we get into overtime, I do, I just want to ask you guys, what does your vision for a successful Indiana offense look like? Who's throwing passes? Who's catching them? Who's emerging? And what is that offense capable of doing? It doesn't have to be a lights-out team. Maybe it just means they're playing possession ball, but what do you think is sort of the a realistic ceiling for this unit
1: going forward? I mean, if— obviously we're just talking about the offense here but if we're looking at like wins that the the, the offense has to step up to provide those wins uh, the goal is obviously to get back to six and get to a bowl game again um, I think if Connor Bazelak is, is performing as well as he might be able to um, and he's got Sean Shivers there in the backfield who kind of steps up and has you know a really good transfer year um, and that's really the key is these transfers that they're bringing in having kind of uh, about uh, not the best years they can, but definitely kind of stepping up above where the the above the minimum. Um, you got those two guys, and I really like to see DJ Matthews uh, for a full season because he seemed like the kind of guy who was just starting to get into his rhythm and just starting to kind of make some electric plays. So those three guys perform, you know, seventy five percent of their ceiling. Uh, I think you're in decent shape. You can't be too unhappy as an Indiana fan compared to last season?
0: So from my perspective, I mean, look around the Big Ten. I mean, especially the Big Ten East, there's a lot of co- like good quarterbacks coming up. There's a lot of good quarterbacks who are already there. Um... Indiana does not have like that proven talent so I think what Indiana is like its best bet is to go maybe a bit more of a ball control offense keep the ball away from those quarterbacks I mean you want to keep the ball away from CJ Stroud you want to keep the ball away from maybe JJ McCarthy if he starts from Michigan I mean Sean Clifford he could have a big year for Penn State I mean Rutgers has a Really good freshman coming up. Uh, But, and it's, but I mean, Maryland is an offensive team. You want to keep the ball away from them. So I think this is going to be a very, very run heavy team. And I think at its ceiling, it, well, at its like a decent showing for that, this offense, I feel like Sean Travers is probably going to be the starter. They're going to hand the ball off to him. And I feel like the one throwing pass is probably going to be Connor Baselak, purely because. I feel like they can get him to, to steal like a Colts phrase. Uh, I feel like they can get him to make the layups. Like if you have, you know, Sean Shivers takes the ball for like three yard game, four yard game, five yard game, whatever. Uh, if you need a few yards after that, you can get like a five, six yard pickup of any of the receivers that are on the roster. Um, and then if you have the time, if you can scheme up something good, I feel like Connor Baselak with his arm strikes gives you the best chance to, like, diversify your game, take a shot downfield, a guy like D.J. Matthews, and just keep the defense on its toes so it's not just expecting, oh, they're going to be, like, a short yardage game. We're going to just sit, we're going to pack the box and just give them trouble. Um, And, you know, yes, the goals get back to six wins. I think Indiana could be capable of that, but it's so much is a mystery right now. We really haven't seen them practice that much. We... Just kind of have to wait and see, but that's what I have to say.
1: I do think m- the most surprising best-case scenario is if Donovan McCauley figures out how to throw a football. Um, oh, that would be so cool. That would be cool. That'd be awesome. because Because then he becomes a dual-threat quarterback, and then defenses have to plan for both if he runs or if he throws. Yeah. I want to be clear. Evan is not just being mean to Devin McCauley.
2: Tom Allen in his press conference after was at Ohio State. Literally just said we're not really comfortable with him throwing the ball. Yeah, not a great sign for yeah. your blue chip quarterback.
0: I think one of the exact quotes was, you know, you have to be dual threat, dual, two. You have to do both.
1: Yeah, he was a he threat. was a glorified wildcat running back at the by the end. Of the, I mean, and against Purdue, well. they literally put him in the game to run into the touchdown. That was that was his only appearance in that game.
0: They did that even before when Penix was healthy. They yeah. put McCulley in the game. It's like, oh, I guess we're doing this now, and yeah. he run.
2: All right, I think we're obviously really, really psyched about what this season could have in store. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. But before we let you go, I think we're going to have a little fun here. Everybody, uh, loosen those ties you've been wearing Uh, because we are all dressed in suits. We should be clear. Um, We're doing a little segment called Overtime. This is where we unwind a little bit, play a little thought exercise. Uh, Neither Evan nor Luke know what I'm about to get into. Uh, Earlier earlier today, I was thinking about all of these names that have been coming up and just how amorphous this team feels at times. You're talking about like Chris Childers, a name that I didn't know a year ago, thought I would have no reason to know. Grant Grammel, another great example. Grant Grammel was like a joke we would tell each other. But the point is, there's a lot of names on this roster and rosters of recent history that you just don't really think of. And I'll encourage you guys to not have that roster pulled up right now because we're gonna play a little game. Um, Are either of you intimately familiar with the works of director Judd Apatow?
0: Um, that does ring a bell.
2: No, this is great. I'm glad you guys don't know this super well. So we're gonna play a little game where I'm going to say a name, and I want you to tell me if this is a recent backup Indiana football player, recent meaning they were on the team as recently as 2019, or more recent, um, or is it a protagonist from a Judd Apatow film?
0: Oh boy. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, this is a game I'm calling either Riding the Pine Apple Express uh, super okay, or forgetting Miles Marshall. So,
1: let's... Uh, <laughs> I know that one. <laughs> uh,
2: the first one up, this one should be easy, uh, Connor Thomas.
1: No. Um, when I, you say no, what do you mean? No, he wasn't, he's not an IU player, right?
0: I, I mean, Connor Thomas, I could see that being like a fo- That sounds like a soap opera football player name. I don't know. Uh, that, yeah, I, I have to say it's... A so, Evan, final Appetum. answer,
2: are we talking Apatow tower, Indiana? Uh, Apatow. Luke? Apatow. Uh, Connor Thomas was a walk-on running back from 2018 to 2019. <laughs> he had nine carries for 17 yards. He's 5'8". He was the offensive and special team scout player of the year in 2020 and received academic all big Ten honors.
0: Oh, man. And Evan, you were on the beats that season. For shame. Oh.
2: To be fair, he <sighs> saw action like twice. Um, next up, we've got... I was at home. Next (laughs) Next up, we've got Peter Schultz.
1: Apatow or Indiana?
0: Apatow, I think I recognize that name. Mm.
1: I want to say, I I think I recognize it too, and I think it's because he is from Indiana.
2: Okay, so final answer, Luke, Apatow, Evan, Indiana. Yeah. Evan, you are correct. He was a walk-on offensive, he currently is on the roster. He's six foot two, 250, so a little undersized. That's about as big as your average Big Ten linebacker. He went to Brother Rice High School in Franklin, Michigan. Um, he's never played, but he's two times academic all Big Ten.
0: Well, Big Brain, good for Oh, that, for man.
2: sure, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Peter Bretter, we go from Schultz to Bretter. That's gotta be Apatow. That's Apatow. It is, that is uh, Jason Siegel's character in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. He's the guy trying to forget Sarah Marshall.
1: Oh, that makes sense.
2: Next up, we have Matthew Briggs. I think that's Indiana. Right, classic tight end name.
1: Sure. Um, yeah. I'm
0: gonna say that's Indiana, because I feel yeah. like Matthew Briggs, that's a football name. Right,
2: totally, so like, when you imagine Matthew Briggs, what does he look not like? He's from Indiana, is he? What does Matthew Briggs look like to you?
0: Um, Matthew Briggs is- He's uh, got a mullet. Uh, I, I feel like Matthew Briggs would be an offensive lineman.
2: Yeah, so he's probably big, tall. Uh, <laughs> Matthew Matty Briggs uh, plays Jonah Hill's friend in Get Him to the Greek. He is played by one, Aziz Ansari.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, That's pretty much what I was picturing. Just Aziz Ansari with a mullet.
2: Yeah, exactly. All right. I'm going to close this out here because I've taken enough of your time. We have Aaron Green. Hi, football. Apatow. What position
1: does Aaron Green play in your mind?
0: Um Tight End.
1: See Tight End. Makes I, sense. Aaron Steinfeld plays tight end. Uh so the first name's familiar for a tight end, but but Green, that, that sounds sounds too easy to be on a Indiana football roster. And what, what does this Judd Apatow character
2: look or act like to you when you um, hear the name Aaron Green? Like, what, who might play him, if you think of the Apatow
1: catalog? Uh, knowing very little little about the Apatow catalog, um, he is the dude who shoves the main character in a locker in a coming-of-age high school movie. Mm. I didn't know Apatow did high school movies. I didn't either. Uh, that's great. So he is actually played
2: by Jonah Hill in Get Him to the Greek. He's a talent scout who guides a drug-addled Russell Brand. And then the other note I have is he's the one who gets him to the Greek. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, other names I had on this list were Justin Barry. He played Tight End. Um Brian Parker he played tight end and then we had Mark Taylor Jackson who's played by Jason Schwartzman in I believe funny people so anyway that was my uh little trip into madness and maybe you if you're listening at home you learned some new names (laughs) you now know more about the Indiana roster and you might think hey this is pointless but just you wait a few entries down the line we very well might be seeing Peter Schultz starting at left guard
1: Alrighty. I hope we do. I hope he comes in the game and I can just I say. I would be
2: so <laughs> stoked, all six foot two, 250 of them getting flattened by Ohio State <laughs> Russian.
0: All righty. I feel like that's pretty good for our podcast today. We went over the offense. All right. We're going to be back at some point in the near future to talk about the defense. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you later.
2: Bye-bye.